Good, man. I'm just looking through your Instagram feed. Did you end up uh did you end up moving up to uh Phoenix? Yeah, I'm about seventy five percent moved. My my truck's still back in um Tucson, but wait until I um wait until I get a, a job lined up till I move all the rest of the stuff up. Gotcha. Um is that gonna be permanent? Uh the Mesa move? Yeah. Yeah. Um so far that's what it looks like. Um unless you know, unless I get BP and end up having to to move maybe over a little bit closer to Casa Grande. Um, you know, who knows where life will take me, but um right now I'm I'm kinda hoping it will be permanent a little bit because I'm a little bit closer to Elk Country. So I can start yeah. learning them and uh start learning all the central units. Cool. Um so, you graduated from U of A, and what's your degree in, and what what do you look, as far as a job, what are you looking to do? Uh, my degree is in criminal justice and public uh, management and policy, and mm -hmm. I'm wanting to get into to federal law enforcement, but I, so I graduated, um, and I got down to the end of the processes for all these different agencies, you know, CBP, um, different local agencies, too. Um, like some of the like Mesa uh, police up here and I got down to the medical test and I didn't pass the natural uh, vision portion of the test. And so, yes, I went to go, um, I, th I was going to go look into getting LASIK um, surgery, but I wasn't a candidate. So the only alternative I had was ICL. So I just got that um, last Monday. So I'm recovering yeah, I from saw, that right I now. Saw picture of you with like um kind of well, goggles not on, blinders yeah. but like goggles yeah that just to protect yeah. your eye yeah protect it from getting bumped or me rubbing them have you had issues at all with your vision i mean did you know that your vision was not perfect no i mean i knew i had bad vision but you, you go to the doctor because i've had bad eyesight since i was little um yeah once you get a prescription, every time you go, they pretty much just, they check your prescription, and I've been wearing contacts for about a decade, so I'm usually, as soon as I wake up, I put my contacts in, and as soon as I go to bed, I take them out. So every year I go and get my prescription changed, they don't test you to see, oh, like, you know, they don't give you a scale like, oh, your vision's 20, you know, 100, right. 20, 40. They don't, they just change your prescription, and you get your new contacts. And so I've been just kind of living like that, um, for over a decade now, so I never actually had my vision tested to see how bad it was. And I got to that BP medical exam, and it was it was real bad. My my natural vision, like on a good day, was twenty four hundred in each eye. So I mean, my contacts were doing wonders for me because I could see pretty good. But um, yeah, I, naturally I was pretty much blind as a bat. So this surgery. Will it actually, is, is the goal that it improves your vision naturally? I mean, it, like you won't have to have contacts? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a more of a permanent fix. Um, so the whole thing with law enforcement, that why they want you to have that natural vision um, at a certain level is in case you get into a fight and your contact gets knocked out or your glasses get knocked off. Uh, they want you to be able to see so you can, so you can do your job. Um, they basically, with ICL, it um, stands for implantable contact lens. So they go in um, with a scalpel and cut a slit in the side of your eye, and then they have a needle. And inside the needle, they have the, the columnar lens kind of wrapped up. And so they stick the needle in there, and then they, they'll push it out. And it kind of unfolds in your eye, and then they place it underneath the iris, the colored part of your eye. So it's pretty it's pretty permanent, and the the slit's small enough to where you don't they don't require um any suturing on it. So I'm just in a phase right now where yeah. it's recovering. I my uh, anesthesia wore off really quick, so by the time I got to my left eye, I, I was pretty much I was up. Um, oh. So that wasn't yeah that wasn't fun, and and I'm right now my vision and my were you able eyes, to tell them that you could feel it. Yeah, yeah, and they they tried the 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 surgery is real quick. It's about twenty minutes for each to do each eye, um, like twenty minutes total. Um, 
So they were going on, they had finished the right, and then when they were sticking the needle in on the left, that's when I could really feel what they were doing. And I told them, and they started to administer, the anesthesiologist started to try to administer more drugs to me, um, but they were done about before the drugs could even kick in. So Jeez, I was, I was out of it afterward. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was gripping the side of the bed pretty hard. Um, but, but my, I don't know if it's because of that, but my left eye is, is taking a long time to, to me, it seems like it's a long time to, to recover. I went in for my, uh, one day post-op and they said I was doing well above average for recovery. And my, my right eye then was about 2020. Um, and my left eye was 2050. And normally they say people a day after surgery, they're 2060 or 2070 after surgery, the day after. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's all swelling. So I'm like, my left eye is blurry, um, but it's due to swelling in the eye. But right now my, my right eye is about 2015, it feels like. And then my wow. left eye should, should be 2015. So sh- super sharp when it, when it heals up. So I'm excited. I'll be, be glad when I can go in the back country and not have to worry about contacts. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet that that's something that's kind of plagued you your whole life of oh, having yeah. to deal yeah. with, you know, just not not real convenient for sure. Yeah, and there's been times when I've been on stocks and my contacts bother me or getting ready to shoot and my eyes are watering. So that, I'm I'm really excited for, you know, a different <laughs> to actually be kind of like a normal person now. Well, that's awesome. Um, I look forward to having you on the podcast today. I guess we'll just go right into it. Uh, guys, you've been listening to Eric Forrest talk about his uh, eye surgery. And um, Eric, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, for one, congratulations on uh, graduating. Uh, that's Thank that's you. an awesome accomplishment. And number two, it sounds like you've moved up uh, to Phoenix uh, almost. And yeah, uh, it sounds much. like you're pretty excited to kind of learn some new country up there. Um, you know, having lived in Tucson and, you know, traipsed around those hills all around Tucson for so long, is there a level of excitement uh, from you from a standpoint of just kind of the unknown and new country that, that you know, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's a huge level of excitement because I've always been that, that guy that, you know, when you hike over the hill, you look at the next hill, next ridge, and you want to go over that ridge to see what that, what's over there, and then the next ridge, and so you're kind of on this unending cycle. And so I feel like it, it's going to be incredible to actually get into some units I've never stepped foot in um, and see what they're all about. Um, I did get a little bit of an introduction. I got a, uh, a um, 22 ham tag um, in February because okay. uh-huh. I knew that was, that was going to force me to um, – to, to step foot in the unit and start, you know, kind of learning it. Um, and two with a, you know, a Havelina tag, I'm not too worried about tagging out. So I, I looked at it as an opportunity to go in there and, and really just put some boots on the ground. And, man, I'll tell you, Jay, it's a lot different than down south. Um, there's a, a little bit of a learning curve for me, I can see, for the, the central units and how, um, how the vegetation is, the deer numbers, uh, hunting pressure, um, all the terrain, so I'm excited to 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 gain a lot of knowledge. That's cool. You're always kind of a guy that uh, seems from my from my outside view, looking in third third party view, you always seem to take kind of a um, more intellectual approach um, than than others do, which I think is intriguing to a lot of people. And then I think you parlay that with the success that you've had of, you know, shooting some really nice bucks and tracking some really nice bucks and kind of keeping your eye on them. Um, it's always cool to have you on the podcast because while you are a young guy, the experience level that you have is far greater than, than most out there, even guys that are, you know, 50, 60 years old. Um, in your initial, and, and, and we'll get into today, we're going to talk about the deer applications coming up and you know, the June 11th deadline, what have you, and I got to, I'm going to pick your brain on some stuff, but uh, okay. in, in drawing that ham tag um, and kind of just saying, okay, let's dive into the unit, um, you know, speaking of 22, one of the central Arizona units uh, is known for, for good coos deer, uh, has, you know, obviously uh, 
you know, some desert muleys, uh, has some higher country too up in the pines. Um, you know, there's some burned areas, manzanita. It kind of has, you picked a unit that kind of has everything. Um, initially, uh, you know, what jumped out at you as far as, you know, if you compare it directly to, say, one of the units that you really like, like Unit 33, from my perspective, one thing that I would think that you would maybe encounter is Unit 33 from the very bottom to the very top you can find coos deer. And from my perspective, Unit 22 is a little more pockety, not so widespread of just, oh, yeah, coos deer are going to be, you know, from the very bottom to the very top, although they are, to me, they seem a little bit more pockety in 22 than, say, a unit like, you know, in your backyard that you love so much like a 33. Just curious your thoughts on what you encountered. Uh, and, and maybe you didn't have enough time to spend, but what, what did you encounter out there? Well, yeah, exactly, Jay. That, that was one of the biggest oh, wow uh, moments for me personally when I went into 22 because I, I was limited. I had just had my car, so I was mainly – um, using 87 to get around the unit and then hiking mm -hmm. in uh, to look for Havelina. Uh -huh. And I hiked, yep. I, I put boots on the ground and hiked real deep into some spots that looked pretty much akin to 33, like real bouldery yep. stuff, uh, lots of creeks flowing. To me, it looked like great feed. Um, it looked like phenomenal country. And, you know, I, I would hike in really early, early in the morning and, um, see a little bit of deer sign here and there, and I thought, you know, when I sat down to glass, I hiked to a, a just a, a fantastic vantage point where I could look at, you know, more country than you could cover in a day, really. And right. sat there, and I saw, like, I just saw two coos deer does, and that was it. And, uh, yeah. man, it, it, <laughs> it was dumbfounding me because I'm like, There's, I should be seeing more um, animals than I am, and, and this country looks amazing, Um why the heck aren't there any more animals? And so I started to walk down into those basins along those creeks and saw, you know, more, more howling a sign than deer sign, and that kind of blew me away because in that type of country down south, it's, it'd be loaded with, with deer sign. And um, up in 22, there wasn't really much. And throughout my hunt, um, I did start to see kind of just, when I did find deer, there were, like you said, little tiny pockets, uh, little pockets of mule deer herds, um, little pockets of coos deer, um, and I only saw, I ended up only seeing one coos deer buck the whole hunt, and uh, I saw him several times in a row uh, where I was hunting javelina, and he was he was about a 100-inch 3x3, three three, so he wasn't too shabby, but, man, just seeing that, that be the only buck, um, and I hunted pretty much the whole ham hunt, um, it blew me away that I didn't see as, as much deer as, as I'm used to. Yeah, I mean, and as you learn it more and, you know, you dive into some more of the central Arizona units, um, you know, when you yeah. start finding those pockets, um, you know, you'll get dialed in really, really quick. Um, but it is always interesting, I think, to take someone that is, you know, you know your country down where you've grown up your whole life so well, you know all the different pockets. And granted, it's huge country and you're always learning new country. Um, it, it is fun for me to go into new stuff and just try and challenge yourself to be like, all right, you know, um, I've done really well in areas that I know. Let's let's put my skills to the test, and it won't take you long at all um, to to figure things out. And I've got full confidence that you'll have a ball. Thank you. Uh, you know, we we could talk about all kinds of things. One of the things that is is really cool about what what you do is you seem to, uh, from my perspective, and I've had you on the podcast before, you seem to kind of focus on deer. Uh, granted, yeah, if, if you find a big giant deer, great. Um, you don't seem to be super score-oriented. You seem to be more maturity, uh, you know, older bucks, mature bucks, and even bucks that have character or bucks that you're like, hey, I've got some history with this buck. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. try and focus on this buck where you might know of a bigger buck, um, but, you know, hey, this buck, you know, I've got a lot of pictures of this one and I've been chasing them around. And so I love following your Instagram feed and actually reading, you know, and then seeing the, the level of pictures and like, hey, I've been watching this buck for four years, da-da-da-da-da. Um, and one of those bucks that's pretty cool, I think you have some history with not only the buck 
We can talk about the buck you shot, I believe, last year, but also Savannah's buck. Um, yeah. It seems like you had quite a bit of history with both of those bucks, and I'll just let you kind of talk about them. Yeah, so um, the whole thing with score is uh, I just, for me, I think we've talked about this before, is I, I totally understand uh, score, and I, I completely understand it for, on a guiding perspective. Um, so I don't have anything against it. For me personally, I just don't want to be the one to put a tape on, on any of the deer I've killed to um, kind of redefine what they are. Um, because to me, I, kinda, I just like to leave it at, at, hey, it's a big buck, it's a mature buck. I had a heck of a time hunting them, and, and that's that's that. Because um, I feel like a lot of guys get wound up, uh, especially since social media has become so prevalent. Um, they get wound up over score, and, and it seems like in recent years, if it's not a 100-inch buck or better, it's not much. And uh, to me, that's kind of a shame because there's there's plenty of bucks that I've hunted in the past that weren't 100 inches that were uh, that meant more to me than than you know some other bucks that were over 100 inches. So um, I've always been in it for the challenge. And um, and if a buck has that woe factor, it makes me feel giddy inside. That's the buck I'm going to go after. But um, yeah, so Savannah's and, and buck, what was that? Sorry, go ahead. Um, real, real fast just to touch on that. That's not to say, like, even when you were just talking about the buck you saw in 22 and, you know, a 3x3 three three that was like a 100-inch buck, I just want to be clear to kind of point out to people that it's it's not saying that you don't say to your buddies, hey, I, you know, that buck's like a 110-inch buck or, you know, this buck's a 100. You're, you're more than anything just kind of giving whoever you're telling the story to just an idea. Are we talking yeah. an 80-inch buck? Are we talking a 110-inch buck? But you're not like going, I think he's 112 and 3-8, and then as soon as you shoot him, you're getting him on the ground and you're going to see if you're right at 112 and 3-8. You're more you're more after that deer. You have no problem, like, categorizing a deer. If someone says, hey, what do you think that buck would score? You say, hey, you know, 105-ish. I mean, I, I, yeah, exactly. I may be reading too much into it, but so you're not, like, no, you, yeah. uh, you're not dodging the score. You're not, you, it's just not p- part of the equation that you're too worked up about. No, you hit it right on the nail. Um, you hit it right on the head. Um, that's That's pretty much how I look at it, and, Thanks for clarifying that. I do, I always, when I see a buck, I'll classify them, you know, 105, 110, 115, just to, so everybody's on the same page, right? Um, but I'm, I'm, I don't get too worried about it when the buck hits the ground. Yeah. Talk about Savannah's buck. So that one, I think last time we talked, I think was when Tristan had just found that buck in the glass. So we had that buck on camera for, shoot, three years um because we yeah because we initially found them in 2015 and basically what we did was is we went out and set salt in the camera around march uh when they still had their antlers um it, this was a new area to us at the time and we we're just going to see um you know what kind of deer show up in the area get an inventory check um and so we set that camera out Checked it several months later after the deer had already dropped and were starting to grow uh, new antlers and saw there's this real nice symmetrical, clean 3x3, three three, about 105 type buck um, on camera. And I thought, oh man, that's a nice deer. Maybe we should try to see about uh, trying to glass that deer up and hunt him. And then uh, as, as history had it, we, uh, we always got on different deer. Um, in, in the three years that that buck was hanging around. And um, the next year, he ended up having a drop time. Uh, he was super cool. Um, how, how long, and, roughly? Uh, that year, is, is the first year he had a drop time, it was probably about three, three to four inches, three to four inches wow. drop time. It wasn't super big, but it was, it was pretty cool. Um, and we hadn't checked the cameras before the hunt, um, that year because we were, we were again, we were out uh, chasing the other drop time that year um, with her, the one she ended up killing in 2017. And so that buck kind of, that whole area got the pass in 2017 because we didn't focus on it at all. And then uh, Tristan decides he's going to go, um, just go out to go glass um, just for, you know, just for the heck of it. And he goes out with, uh, with Savannah and, puts puts the binos up and there's this buck and he sends me a picture of it 
And he didn't know it at the time. He sends a picture to me, and I'm like, dude, that's that buck. Because we'd never been able to lay eyes on this deer at all. And um, I said, that's that drop time buck. So we go back in there um, really early in the morning. I, I find this one little, um, this little uh, hill where he had kind of gotten on, where he could kind of look into this one canyon. And so we hiked up on there. It was kind of out of the way. Um, real steep, nasty little hill that no one's ever got on. And we got on there, and sure as heck, right at first light, we glassed that buck up um, in this little pocket, watched him um, work his, feed his way up, um, and wrap around the canyon, disappear every morning. He would, about, about right when the sun would hit, he would start, you know, picking up speed and moving. And then we would eventually lose him. And we spent pretty much every bit of free time we had to go back in there and, and look for that buck. And we saw him every single time except one, a couple times we didn't see him at all. And then one time we saw him on uh, across the canyon on the ridge, way up on top. Um, but for the most part, uh, about 90% of the time, he was in the same spot. You could pretty much mark out a 50-yard by 50-yard little square area where he was going to be at first light. For whatever reason, he was always right there feeding, and then he would feed up and around and uh, drop out of sight. And so do, we thought, oh, man, think, this, what was that? Eric, do you think that was a spot that he just liked? You know, he was always there at first light. you think it was a spot that he just liked to bed there? He felt comfortable sleeping overnight right there? And then, he, you know, he would obviously wake up, feed a little bit, and then he'd start cruising to wherever he'd move midday. I mean, do you think that's a very interesting observation where you say, you know, you glass them up, you know, every time in the same spot. Are we talking like four or five times or are we talking like ten times? Like how many, like is it a completely repeatable pattern? Oh, completely repeatable. Tristan and I, we spent, like I said, like all of our free time going in there when I – when I didn't have classes at school, I would run over there um, and get so, up on the So literally and, like and at least it. 10 times, 10 times? I mean, yeah. more than 20 yeah. times? Um, I would say if I was there more, it would have been more than 20 times. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, I mean, this yeah, truly saying, was a deer that he just felt comfortable in that spot. Yeah, we, we scratched our heads because it was, it was low in the canyon elevation, Um and from my experience, I've always, the bigger bucks I've always hunted um, in the mountains tend to, to, to hang out up higher where they can see. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make much sense to me that he started out so low in the canyon. Um, mm-hmm. He was, we never glassed him up bedded. He was always feeding right at first light. Uh, no matter what the moon was, um, it, it, it seemed he didn't really care about that. Um, and like I said, uh, right when that sun would get up and that that time changed as the sun would would come up a little bit later in the day um but when we first saw him as soon as that sun would get up he would pick up speed and get around that canyon and go off to wherever wherever he was going off to we could never locate a um a second vantage point to see where he was going successfully um Mm -hmm. and and it was it was one of those things where we were, we were making plans, uh, you know, we're strategizing where we're going to put um, Savannah, who was the tag holder, on, you know, opening morning for where she right. could kill this buck. And she had that third hunt last year. Um, and opening day was a nasty uh, kind of like snow, snow kind of wintry storm deal that flowed through and it was really cold, lots of rain, lots of snow, and a little bit of, uh, um, or yeah, lots of rain, a little bit of snow, but lots of wind. Um, and so that day ended up being a total shutdown with zero, not much deer movement at all. But um, we, we were going to plan on putting her essentially right in the saddle across and just to have that buck feed right up and her to shoot. Um, and it didn't quite go, it didn't quite end up going like that because of the, the storm. But I was really worried, being that that buck was, he had that same pattern every day, that as soon as opening morning came around, that he'd have other hunters in there and, and his whole pattern would be thrown off. 
because we did uh -huh. go in there during during the hunts before. I told Tristan, I was like, we we need to go in there um, during see the hunts and see what happens. See what's yep, see yeah, what, yep. And and Jay, the area was crawling with hunters. It was absolutely <laughs> crawling. On the first hunt, it was crawling. The second hunt, we had guys um, all over where the buck was, all on on top of the canyon, um, and pretty much right above where he started out his days, and. I mean, these guys, you know, a group of like a 10 or so guys just walking the hills and, you know, trying to flush deer. And I, yeah. I told you something like, I, I hope they don't flush that buck and, and you know, throw rounds at them. And uh, these guys were, there was one, one guy glassing and he had a tripod, so I got kind of worried there. Um, but we never, you know, uh, Never saw that buck during that, those times, and I worried that was going to be the case for when her hunt rolled around. I thought he was going to switch his pattern entirely, um, and that we weren't going to find him. Um, and uh, we even worried that he got killed on one of those hunts. But we came back in right before her hunt on that on that third hunt, and he was he was still doing his normal thing. And and that opening morning, um, when we didn't see him at all, I worried you know that same thing that he had switched his pattern up. You know, it's getting later in the year. Uh, there's a lot of hunting yep. pressure. Um, and so we kind of were like, well, sh you know, opening mornings of bus, didn't see a, sing you know, a single buck to shoot at. Because um, we had kind of, she kind of wrote her tag for him. Because, uh, yep. you know, you have this awesome story. You shoot it, your very first buck is a drop time. So <laughs> your next buck, <laughs> if it's a drop time too, it's, it's an incredible story, right? Um and right. so we'd always joked about that. And so the, the next day came, and she's a trooper. She hunted that whole day uh, through the, those bad conditions and, and, you know, wasn't skipping a beat. The next day she was ready to go after it again. And so we hiked back up there uh, the next day, got up there, set up, you know, uh, in the dark pretty much and waited for it to get light. And it's getting light, and I had a buck in my glass, and I'm like, I got a buck, and he's right in that spot, and just trying to wait for enough light to come in for me to materialize what he has on his head. And sure as heck, it was him. And so, uh, yeah, we had. I told Tristan, I said, you and her get down the hill and um, and <laughs> make a run at it and try to get up on the on the opposite side of the canyon. And you know, it's a gamble because there's a ton of deer around, a ton of does, um, you know, bumping a doe is, is always a risk. And so they get up there, didn't, they didn't, they didn't, uh, spook any deer, but the grass is so tall that they couldn't see the deer or even set up on a shot. And he eventually, you know, being a smart, mature buck, he eventually picked them up and this buck decides he's going to, take off his normal route. So he goes up the canyon and around, wraps around. They never got a shot. And Unreal. So I said, I, I thought in my head, I'll be honest, I thought, man, this, is, this was a blown, uh, you know. Yeah. The day's kind of blown because he wraps around this hill, Jay. You can't, you can't see back there. It's all pretty big, steep country. You could go hike back there, but you know the odds of finding that buck again are pretty slim. Right. And so him, him and I don't know how many other deer, like a whole group of deer, head up the canyon and around. And Tristan starts heading up, uh, up, up this, uh, this ridge, um, kind of up where, that, where he was that one day up at the top. And he's dragging Savannah up there. They're, they're ball busting it up there. And he finally gets up on top. And he, you know, he's talking to me on the radio. I told him, he's like, you think it's worth to get up here to look? I'm like, well... You're not going to hurt anything. You get up there, you can look. You might see him come around. Uh, who knows? And so he gets up there, and sure as heck, he spots that buck. And so he follows it, and this buck is way higher up now. They all went up and into this, uh, you know, some shaded junipers and kind of calmed down. And so Tristan gets Savannah, and they sneak over there. Uh, I can't remember. It was... It was a pretty good shot. I think it was over 500 yards. Um, but they get her set up, and she she shoots him, gets him down. He falls down the – I mean, this is steep stuff. He falls, I don't know, 100 yards. Tristan gets it all on video, and um, and they finally make their way over it. And then I 
I get off that little knob and hike all the way up there. And, uh, you know, I, I gave them crap because I told them, you guys have put me on this hill every day, getting all lazy on this tiny little hill, and now I have to hike all the way <laughs> up on the big mountain. And, uh, man, when Jack, the, the feelings walking up um, up to that deer, uh, after watching him so long, you know, on the cameras and not knowing where he lived and then, and then focusing on him for weeks on end, uh, it was incredible. Just walking up and seeing how big he actually was, you know, having him in my hands, uh, yeah. it was unreal. Did he have his drop time? Yeah, so he had his drop time. It was weird. This, uh, this past year, 2018, he still had his drop time. Um, his frame was bigger, uh, and his uh, his predominantly uh, his predominant side, um, I think it was his left side um, or his right side. I mean, uh, where he was, you know, he had a bigger third on that side. That side was bigger, had bigger eye guards, more mass, but the drop time was smaller. And then his yeah. um, his G three on that drop time side was smaller as well. I think overall he was maybe a little bit bigger, but. I, I kind of wonder if we had better moisture last year, what he would have actually been, or yeah. if if he was sort of regressing. He was a really old buck, um, but yeah, I can't help to wonder what he might have been with uh, with better moisture. You said in your Instagram feed that uh, uh, that it was the biggest body you'd ever seen. Oh yeah, yeah, it was all Tristan. I I had to to get him hoisted up to get them all um, skinned out and butchered out. And it had about the darkest red meat I've ever seen on a deer. Uh, really? Super good tasting. Yeah. Yeah, it was like almost purple. It was crazy. Looks like yeah, he's got he, a little kicker on his left G2, like a little point. Was that point always, the, you know, it looked like about an inch long. Was that point always there? And um, was it always about the same length? No, actually, that was a, a development in 2018, too. So that his G2 actually kind of spayed out almost in, like, yep. three different points. It's kind of like what it looked like it wanted to do. And his other side kind of, uh, there was a little bit of a bump where it looked like he wanted to grow another drop time. Um, so, yeah, man, it makes me wonder what he would have, what his full prime would have been or if that was it. Um but yeah, he's he's ton, tons of character, really unique deer. It's uh, I'm looking on your Instagram, and for those out there listening, uh, Eric, it's e e r i c underscore forest with two r's, f o r r e s t. There's a picture of you and Savannah and Tristan with the buck, and then before that, there's a velvet picture of them. Um, yeah. Really cool, but man, that in the the velvet photo, that body looks huge when he's standing there on the hoof. I mean, yeah. he looks like, I mean, big body deer. Uh, those eye guards are pretty awesome as well. And then I like how oh, yeah. he kind of out on, looks like out on the, like three or four inches out from the tip of his main beam, kind of, it's all bladed and kind of heavy there. Yeah, yeah, he's a super cool buck. <laughs> We're all That's, we're all drooling over him when we walked up to him. I mean, shoot, we we're probably just standing there, uh, just admiring him for about thirty minutes before we actually even got around the pictures. That's awesome. That's so cool. Savannah is a lucky girl. Does she, she? I think she has an idea of how fortunate she is, doesn't she? Yeah, she has an idea too of how hard it is. Because man, that was some that was some tough hiking, and uh, <laughs> she definitely put the work in for sure. Good for her. I want to take just a quick second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. My friend Cody Nelson is the optics manager at GoHunt.com. And if you guys uh, want to help support this podcast and you're looking for optics, you're looking for binos, tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, anything to do with optics, uh, give him a call. Give him the business, uh, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. That's Cody Nelson, the optics manager at Go Hunt Gear Shop, GoHunt.com. Uh, I appreciate you guys doing that. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. You can find out more about Kuyu. That's the clothing and the gear that I wear on all my hunts. 
You can find out more at kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com. I uh, also want to thank Canyon Coolers. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount at canyoncoolers.com. Uh, phonescope.com, if you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And onxmaps.com, if you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount there at onxmaps. Onyx Maps I use on all my hunts. I've been using it actually up here fishing in Colorado, uh, trying to determine where private property and public public ground is. Uh, there's also a great measuring uh, distance feature. There's a breadcrumb feature so you can kind of track where you're going. Uh, coming back in the dark, it's nice to follow a track. Uh, go to onxmaps.com. Use the JSCOT19 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount. So Eric, she's she has shot a couple of beautiful bucks, speaking of Savannah, and it's pretty neat that they got that done and you were able to hike up there and you guys just basically reveled in, you know, the memories of trail cameras and spending so much time. It is fun, though, wouldn't you agree, that if, if you're able to hunt one animal and basically spend your season thinking about that animal, thinking about what he's doing, I mean, we, I always tease with my buddies, like, whatever animal we're after, whether it's elk season or what, you know, like, what is he doing right now? You know, yeah, there's yeah. all the responses coming back. Oh, he's, you know, he's, he's sleeping. Oh, he's licking his balls. Oh, he's, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it's just, it's, yeah. it's fun to kind of have that one animal that, you know, is always in the back of your mind um, and you're always thinking about. And then to be able to go on opening day and have just rough weather and, you know, you don't even know, you know, like, is the buck still alive? You know, did a lion yeah. get him? I mean, and I, I do have one question for you. Uh, well, I have a bunch, but one that I want to hit on is in those circumstances when you've had so much experience watching a certain animal and you've got hunters all around you, your mind plays evil tricks on you and says, oh, that, that buck's in the back of a truck going to Ohio right now. He's dead. Someone from Illinois got him. Boom, he's gone. <laughs> what do you do from a mental standpoint of, like, until I know otherwise, you know, we're going to focus on this buck and, you know, until I can prove that he's not there? Or how do you handle that? Um, because you are hunting public ground and you are – uh, looking at bucks that, you know, have had a really good chance with, you know, she had the third hunt, had a really good chance the archery season and, and the first two rifle seasons that someone's going to stumble into them. How do you handle yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so from my own experience, you know, I've I've had those thoughts over the years and, and seen bucks, you know. I very rarely has a buck I've been watching actually been killed um, or a lion gets it. So for me, I've kind of, I have like a natural sense of, you know, at ease with these older mature bucks because, you know, they're, they're big, they're old, they're there because they know what they're doing. Um, and I try to stay confident in that. But Tristan, you know, he's a little, he's a lot newer into hunting um, than I am. Uh, so I could see him, he was, he was getting a little worried about all the hunters there. She was getting a little yeah. bit worried about all the hunters there, and I told him, I said, "Look, think about all the bucks we have on trail cam. How, how all these old bucks, they're year, they're, they show up year after year. We haven't had a single one go missing yet. Um, every year, year after year, they show back up. So no one's killing them. The cats aren't killing them. They're they're smart. They're sticking around. You know, this buck's no different. He's he's gonna be sticking around until." until we get in on him and and the thing with her buck is he was really smart in, in where he decided to stay because you could not see that buck unless you were on that little tiny hill that we were on and this hill was so out of the way jade no one it i mean I, i'm a pretty good judge of sign um and no one's ever you know broken through all the you know the shrubs to get up there and glass off of it. It was a pretty much virgin hill. And um, that was the only place you could see right into the small little pocket he was in starting out in the morning. Um, that was a, a, a good enough distance away where you weren't spooking him. And I think that's the reason why that buck survived year after year is because all these guys are crawling on the hill he's on. So all that buck has to do is slip up that canyon and out. 
like he tried to do on Savannah and Tristan that day. Um, and the only reason they ended up killing him is because both of them were persistent in going up that hill and, and keeping after that buck and seeing him where he did slip out up higher, and uh, that's how they killed him. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that, I mean, you know, heavily pressured units, they're still big deer, old deer, mature deer. I mean, you just made a perfect case for why bucks get big. And it's something to think about for those people that are, you know, thinking about applying for different units and how they're going to strategize and, you know, what tactics they're going to use for their hunt. But sometimes trying to figure out from a map and sometimes trying to figure out from an aerial, you know, Google Earth and sometimes on the ground, where are these pockets that people aren't looking? And I think that's a perfect example of, exactly. you know, the buck was on the hill that the people were on rather than across, they're probably looking over the top of them. They're probably not looking at where he was. And so, you know, when trying to find big, mature bucks, I mean, go places where people don't go. Go glass off the hard spots that are hard to get to and look at it from a different perspective and different angle. And just like Eric's saying, you know, he's been, he watched that buck over and over and over I mean, it's not the only buck that is in a spot like that, Eric. I, I firmly believe that, exactly. you know, the, those those mature bucks, they figure out a way to stay alive, and those are the bucks that, you know, if you're really after a mature buck, a big buck, I mean, that's, that's what you've got to do. You've got to find those pockets where people aren't looking and, and where it allows those deer to get old uh, and to get big. Really cool story. Um I do with the application uh, season, and we'll have to talk about your buck another time, but um, with the application season coming up, uh, obviously you know a handful of the units in, in southern Arizona, and you're going to be a quick learner on uh, some of the central Arizona units. Um, I just wanted to uh, basically get your thoughts before we dive in, and I'm just going to ask you, Just we're going to shotgun through some units and feel free to say, know nothing about it, have no idea, or if okay. you say, oh, it's you know, thick or high density, low density, lots of hunters, you know, might have a chance for a big one, whatever. But before we get to that, um, the, the four-season structure, the way that most of these units and, and a lot of them in southern Arizona are structured, uh, they're structured to October 25th to, to October 31st, then November 8th to the 14th, then the 29th to the 8th, and then December 13th to the 31st. The first question I would ask you before we start talking specific mm -hmm. units are, out of those four hunts, in your opinion, someone that has literally chased coos deer since you were in diapers, uh, speaking to the people that are out there applying for the draw, out of those four season structures, which one do you think is the best chance to kill consistently the biggest buck or the most mature, you know, big, big gnarly buck? Like what's your, what you chase? Hmm. So I'm kind of split on that one. I feel like if you're doing your homework, like a lot of guys are, you know, um, like, you know, Devin Beck, um, yeah, I could, I could rattle off a list of guys that, that take advantage of that first, that first hunt, because um, they do their homework, they watch a buck, you know, for months before a season, and then they go in there uh, opening day, and they, they have that buck patterned down, um, and, and they shoot him, and they have, you know, first go at that buck before everybody comes in and, tr you know, tramples the area around. But I'm kind of split on that because, you know, with Savannah's buck, I learned that it, even on the first hunt, it didn't matter if it was the first hunt, the second hunt, or, you know, the third hunt, Ultimately, we had the, that buck patterned down enough to where um, we could be successful in killing him. I feel like if you're hunting a, a really pressured um, unit where bucks do tend to get, get killed like that, uh, that first hunt might be your best bet, I, especially this year with the new moon um, on that first hunt. Um, but I've always been a fan for that third hunt because it's, it's fairly easy to draw on most units. And it gives you a lot of time to hunt. And I think that's, that, I think the time, the amount of days you have to hunt are going to make you a lot more, are going to end up making you more successful than having the first go. Because on that first hunt, you've got just as many guys out there as you do on the third hunt. 
Um, and when you say third hunt, do you mean the December hunt, or do you mean that that third, you know, the kind of that uh, November twenty ninth to December eighth hunt? That two weekend long. Um, okay. Yeah, like okay. yeah, for like the southern units. Um, I just started getting into looking up uh, the regs, you know, and the hunt structures for these central units. It doesn't seem like it's the same as, as the southern units. You have, yeah. you know, your first hunt, your second hunt, and then you have that third hunt that's two weekend long. Um, right. And that's, that tag is very easy to draw. Um, so from a draw and, perspective, you like the chance that you, you can get that tag. You also like yep. the chance that you have longer period of time. And, and I, from what I hear you saying is a lot of the bucks that you chase, it, you're not as concerned about someone shooting them in October or the second hunt. Uh, as long as you can pattern them good enough and you know that you're kind of looking for odd, you know, out-of-the-way places, you're more trying to get as much time so that you have more hunting time, whereas the, the first hunt, that October you know, 25th uh, through the 31st, it's a very short window of time. Yep. You would rather yep. have two weekends and nine days to hunt that buck uh, that you've patterned. Uh, what about does, does you know, typically a little bit cooler temperatures on that third hunt play into the, your equation too? Do you feel like you have you know, those bucks on their feet a little bit longer or no? Yeah, yeah, I've kind of noticed that, you know, the hot mornings the bucks tend to, to simmer down a little bit faster in the morning uh, activity. Uh, in the past, uh, it's I don't know if it'll be different this year, um, but I know last year that first hunt in October was pretty hot. Um, and for one, that's not the, the most enjoyable thing for, you know, as a person to go hunt. So that's why I've always opted for those later hunts. It's a little bit cooler. It's, it's, it's more comfortable to hunt, and you have more of a chance of a buck getting up and moving around. A little bit longer in the day, giving you a better chance to get a, a glimpse of them. Yeah. Good stuff. Let me rapid fire through some of these units. And, again, uh, if you don't have any experience or, or really have no comment, you can just say, you know, no comment, uh, no experience, move on. Um, and okay. anything that jumps out at you, um, and I'm going to actually take these units backwards. I'm going to start with 36C, and we're going to, you know, start there and, and move, move, um, you know, go to smaller numbers from there. But uh, let's start with 36C. Lots of deer. Uh, I haven't hunted it too much recently, but I've seen big bucks in that unit. Lots of deer, though. 36B. 36B? Yeah. Or did you say C? No, 36B is in boy. Yeah. Uh, again, lots of deer. I, uh, pretty much all of the 36s have tons of deer and, and uh, pretty good potential for some big bucks if you can get away from the popular areas and kind of look down low. 36A. Same thing, lots of deer. Um Good potential if you know where to look, get away from a lot of people. Unit gets hit hard, lots of tags. Um, best bet is to get up get up high and look down low. 35B is in boy. Good unit. Pretty Lots of areas can be thick. Um, lots of popular areas, but plenty of, of area to, to get in deep and, and hike. A lot seems to be a little bit lower. Um, lower deer density, at least glassing, but, you know, when you do see a buck in 36B, it's usually a pretty mature one. Or 35B, my bad. Yep, 35A. Uh, really good unit, again, like 35Bs. Lots of areas that can be thick, lots of open areas, lots of open hillsides you can find at 35A. Um, lots of deer, pretty good bucks in that unit, too. 34B. It's a it's a good unit. I've seen some good bucks in that unit. Um, I've always, to me, it's it, there's a, a somewhat little bit of a an access issue with thirty four B. A lot of private property, but if you can get in, um, hike in and get around that private property, there's some pretty good bucks in that unit. Thirty four A. Good unit. Um, seems like they're hitting it with. Uh, they've been hitting it with lots of tags year after year, but there's a lot of deer in that unit. Um, some good bucks, too. Josh, to me, Eric, that's one unit. If they, if, I mean, this is just me putting my 
why can't we do this hat on? But man, it seems like you know the 675, 675, 600, and then 100 on the late hunt. Man, if we could just cut those numbers in half, 34A would produce some yeah. phenomenal deer. I mean, it still does, but it seems like out of all those units, it just gets absolutely pounded. Yeah, the age class of deer in 34A is in a lot of spots, uh, especially, you know, Gardner Canyon, Box Canyon, that whole area, Sawmill, the age class of deer in there, it's it's incredibly hard to find a, an actual mature deer that's getting that has the opportunity to grow up to be pretty good. That's my only kick on 34A. Unit 33. Very good unit. Um, again, uh, just like uh, 34A, it, it seems to be hit up by the on the rifle hunts pretty hard. But I think um, the terrain of 33 kind of keeps a lot of people out of the, the far corners. And if you can find a, a good far corner to get away from people, you can find a, a really, really big buck. 32. I have yet to step foot in 32, but I've been looking at it on, on the maps. The Galeros and the Winchesters in 32, I've spent quite a bit of time. It's a rough place, um, and it's a place I think, you know, if you can get away, like most of these units, you can get away from some of the popular areas, you have a chance to find a pretty good buck. Okay, yeah. uh, 31. Again, um, looking at it on the maps, I haven't quite got there yet. Okay, how about any experience in 30A or 30B? Uh, no, no. How about the Chiricahuas 29? Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about the Chiricahuas and, and had um, had opportunities to go there on private land that I wish I would have taken <laughs> taken advantage of um, in the past. But from what I've heard, it's huge bucks in that unit, but I've heard there's a huge uh, issue with, private, uh, with access because of all the private land. Yeah, uh, I think that burn in there has probably done those deer some good. Um, and, they, you know, it goes into 27 and, and then the central Arizona units, the 24s and 23s and 22s, 21s and 6As. You haven't uh, had a chance to really hit up yet. Um, yeah. That's awesome to be able to shed some light on, on some of those units. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's so do you feel like you're almost opening a new chapter in your life of, you know, okay, now you've been working so hard, you know, working you know, working a job and working yourself through school, now you've graduated. Um, I guess the first question would be, do you feel like a new chapter is opening in your life where, you know, there's quite a bit unknown coming? And how, as a young man, how are you kind of embracing that unknown? Oh, for sure. I do, I do feel like it's a, you know, almost a, a new book entirely. Um, I... I, I love adversity. I love challenges because it's an opportunity to grow. And I always seek out, um, you know, difficulties because they are, because I've always looked at them as ways to grow myself and um, I welcome them. So being up here and, and not really knowing much about the units up here um, is, is very intriguing to me. Um, I see that there's a, there's a learning curve. Just with that Havelina hunt alone, there was a learning curve to that compared to hunting javelina down home. And, you know, I've been kind of just looking at the guys that are successful up up here, you know, like the, the ground pounders, um, James Dudley, all those guys. Uh, and, and having stepped foot in 22 and seeing how, how difficult it is um, or how difficult it can be um, and the fact that those dudes are killing it, um, there's, I, can, I can tell there's, there's a lot to be learned. And so I'm really excited to... Um, to start getting my lessons, really. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fun to watch um, how you progress. And, uh, Thank you. you know, there's there's uh, always excitement to checking out new country, um, you know, and I would encourage you don't uh, hesitate to, uh, you know, continue to overlook some of the country that you've, you know, you've run around as a kid. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, learn, learn new areas, learn new units, but don't, you know, don't give up on the units that you love so much. Um, but you know, that's the cool thing about, uh, being young and, and having the experience level, I think that you do is, you know, that you can take your skills and it, it, I, I, I probably 
you know, I'm just reading into it. I just, know, I feel like I know you well enough to say that you're almost taking it on as a challenge to be like, yeah, I, I know I have the skills. I'm going to take it into some new units and let's just have fun with it. I think one of the cool things is, you know, some of these units that are in central Arizona that, that, you know, people know and it's kind of their backyard, it'd be similar if they were coming into your backyard. They may come, you may come in with a fresh eye and you may come in with a fresh perspective to be like, hmm, that mountain range or, you know, that set of hills looks really good where someone yeah. might drive by it all the time and be like, nah, there's nothing there. And then here you come with a fresh perspective to be like, hmm, I'm going to see if, you know, this looks good to my eye. Um, it looks similar to something I've hunted back home. Let's see, let's see what we can find. And boom, you might find, you know, all of a sudden you find a great buck. So, um, you know, sometimes a fresh perspective in a new unit uh, can produce good things. You, you mentioned elk too. You were excited about learning some of the elk units. Um, have you drawn an elk tag this year? No, I just um, just due to to not being um, certain where where I'm going to land work, I decided just to do the bonus points and start banking okay. up my points to draw a good tag. But man, I've gotten lucky on elk in the past. Uh, my dad knows elk really well, and I've kind of, I've benefited off of that when I was a kid because. Um, you know, he would put me in on elk, and I'd be done pretty quick. So I never really got the chance to, to, to really, you know, first-handedly learn elk. So I, I went up yeah. there um, not too long ago just to shed hunt and just to get out there. And man, it's 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 really cool. I, I'm, yeah. That's another thing for me to that <laughs> there's a huge learning curve that I gotta start hiking up um, with elk. Well, that's cool. It's it's always nice to have a kind of a new animal, a new passion to kind of chase. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to finish with the podcast here, talk a little bit about your archery setup. I know you're you're really into archery and just curious if you're one of those guys that, you know, is constantly getting new bows or are you one of those guys that, you know, finds one and shoots it for two, three, four years and, you know, kind of sticks with what you know and what you like or are you one of those guys that's constantly you know, trying new bows and new things and what have you? So um, I I started shooting on for PSC, like on their um, staff, when I was about, like, around 16. So they, they, they were giving me a bow about every year, um, you know, to, to shoot with. Um, whatever new products they had, they would, whatever, you know, new line of bows, they would have me shoot, and then I'd, you know, pick one, and I'd shoot with that for the year. But... Lately, I've been I've stuck to the bows that I've really loved um, off the PSC line. So I've been shooting a uh, my PSC Evolve, um, my Evolve 34, and that thing is a tack driver for me. Uh, again, everybody's different with uh, the bows they shoot, um, but that bow I've <laughs> it's been pretty deadly for me. Do you want me to describe my setup for it? Yeah, for sure. So it's a 30, 31 and a half uh, draw, I believe, and I'm shooting 150 grain Swacker three inch cut. Um, that, that's that's your arrows. dad's broadhead, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a nasty broadhead. Um, and my arrows are about 450 grains right now. Um, I think I'm pulling around 70 70 pounds right now. Um, it's a and I, I have a I have one of my dad's old sights on there, a Sonoran uh, long range sight that unfortunately he doesn't make anymore, but it's a good sight. Um, it's about it for my setup. Two piece quiver, pretty simple. I'm, I try to keep it simple. I do. I, I'm one of those guys that shoots a whisker biscuit still, and I get a lot of crap for it. But to me, it's it's there's there's nothing on it to. To, to break because there's no nothing mechanical about it, so I really like that. And um, I mean, I've I've killed out at a distance with it, so it's worked for me. Um, anything else? Yeah, I think one of the things I've used the whisker biscuit before. One of the things I really yeah. liked about it is stocking. I mean, mm -hmm. you can basically have an arrow knocked and crawl, and you know, have it upside down, you know, any which way, and you know, crawling through the brush and it's just right there. Never, never, the arrow never falls. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, and I've had, I've had the rip cord 
he drop away rest, uh, break on me at one of the worst times ever. So <laughs> that's why I stick yeah. with the, the whisker biscuit. Well, that's really cool. Well, I'm I'm excited for you, buddy. Um, I'm happy you. that uh, you're you're uh, had a successful surgery, and I'll look for you to land uh, somewhere here successfully here soon. And and um, just excited to watch your progress, and always appreciate you coming on the podcast, and always appreciate uh, you know for a young guy, uh, you know such a m- mature approach. You've always had it. Uh, I've been following you a long time, so it's a uh, it's cool to see, uh, you know, the excitement level that you have, uh, but also the maturity level that you have with the respect you have for the for the animals you hunt. And um, so it's it's really cool. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Wish you the best of success uh, in the upcoming draws. And thanks for uh, giving us a few stories and shedding a little bit of light uh, on things. And uh, I'll see you down the road, okay? All right. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for all the kind words. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no sweat, and I'm going to link up uh, Eric's um, Instagram page in the show notes, uh, so I encourage you guys to, if you don't follow him, uh, again, it's Eric underscore Forrest with two R's, Forrest has two R's, uh, and I'm also going to link it up in the show notes, so Eric, uh, God bless, I'll, I'll catch you later. Thank you, catch you later, Jeff. All right.